Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of State of the Art. And uh, if you guys have been following along this month, you'll know that we've been featuring the topic of authorship and ownership in the month of May. Uh, and we've kind of had this special focus on especially what new technologies are changing our ideas about what authorship and ownership of artwork means in the modern art world. We've mentioned blockchain technology before, but today's guest, Marcelo Casil and his company Mycenas, have a different take on what value the blockchain can bring. Mycenas provides, quote, art investment without intermediaries and claims to let art investors invest in fine art in the most transparent and efficient way. So we'll talk more about that in a few moments. But first, I'd really like to welcome you, Marcelo. How are you doing today? Hey, uh, hi, Andrew. I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Thank you for making the time from halfway across the world. It's the modern of the miracle of modern technology that we can even do this, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, so listen, Marcelo, I'd like to to kind of learn from you what uh, what your background was and kind of how you got into this world of art investment on the blockchain. Sure. So, um, my I mean, first of all, and I know many people in in our community are, are fully aware of this. Um, my background is not in art. Uh, I I came into uh, this juncture through my experience working for investment banks um, on the technology side. And I'm, I have a degree in, in information technology and uh, had the chance to uh, spend uh, 10 good years uh, in London working uh, for um, different uh, investment banks, always on the investment side, on the trading floor where uh, money is made, when traders uh, sh often shout at each other, uh, <laughs> trying to you know, close a deal. And uh, in there and through that experience, I, I learned firsthand how money flows around the world and, 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 the, and the value that banks bring in by creating this uh, gigantic network of uh, intermediaries that pass assets and, and money around. Um, and we end consumers uh, don't really see that. We just see sort of the uh, the, the experience that concerns us, which is you know, how we get paid, how we spend our money, and maybe uh, the experience of getting a loan with the, maybe the mortgage being the most sophisticated loan that we and average people will always uh, know, ever get in our life. Um, so, there, but there's lots of things happening behind the scenes. You know, for the moment you, you know, you apply for a loan. To the moment, you know, some checks are done, and someone has to provide with that financing facility. Uh, and different asset classes have different uh, sort of nuances and, and complications and and and, and uh, profit opportunities for for those who are involved. Um, and when I discovered uh, uh, Bitcoin and you know, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain and immediately uh, with my techie mind and, me, and my understanding of finance, uh, I was like, wow, this, this is something that could bring uh, a world of different asset classes that are currently not part of the electronic financial world, uh, such as property, collectibles, you know, any, any tangible asset of value that's difficult to transact, could benefit from having uh, some sort of decentralized register that uniquely identifies who owns what and each transaction that's executed on, on that asset. So that, that was sort of the thinking uh, that I had about five years ago. Um, and obviously, in you know, 2013, almost six years ago now, um, uh, it was way too early for uh, for any sort of asset tokenization discussion to to be had. So I initially started with the idea of creating a cryptocurrency exchange. Um, so I started building it on my own time. Then the project started growing. Uh, I realized that it was uh, too much work for a single person to to <laughs> do. So I started uh, informally recruiting my friends and ex colleagues from all around the world. Um, I'm, I was born and, and raised and did my studies in Argentina uh, and spent, as I said, uh, a good time in London and then moved to Singapore. So I started literally recruited people from all over the world. Um, and so now that, long story short, that eventually turned into a more serious project. We all realized that we were actually creating a company 
Uh, and that's, I guess that's how this started sort of organically was born. It wasn't sort of like a firm decision to, to start it. It was just something that happened. Um, I started becoming really passionate about the work and I wanted to uh, spend my, my every hour on it. So I decided to quit my day job. Uh, quite happy about living the banking environments with you know, suits and formalities and lots of meetings <laughs> that don't, don't take you anywhere. Right. Um, and and I, through that journey of trying to, I think all startups go through the same process of uh, trying to find a, a product. Uh, and I, if you read all the sort of lean startup books, they tell you that and I, you have to uh, get get the product first and I focus on the essentials and so on. And I guess I didn't start that way. I started driven by passion, by curiosity, by, by the desire to experiment and, and, and play with uh, what felt to me uh, something completely groundbreaking in, in the history of, of finance and the history of how uh, money, uh, sorry, how people think about money and, and ownership. Um, and it was through the journey and through lots and lots of literally hundreds of trials and errors of ideas and testing ideas with people who um, were actually making money by having real businesses. Mm. I was uh, continuously pitching blockchain uh, to everyone, uh, pitching cryptocurrencies to absolutely everyone uh, until they hated me or they, they, <laughs> they loved the, some ideas. So eventually uh, it was in Geneva, um, 2015. Um, my company was part of an acceleration program uh, in Switzerland. I think that was the first one uh, for fintech companies in Geneva. And um, I was talking to people, very traditional conservative business people who invested in, in assets, sort of like wealth management type of, of, of persons. And um, I was at the time already had narrowed down the, uh, the assets, the type of assets that would benefit the most of having some sort of blockchain environment uh, governing the transactions. And it was um, down to real estate and fine art. Uh, mm. And it was purely a very rational and analytical decision. It was not driven by any sort of passion about art or, or real estate and whatnot. And in, in the end, I realized that uh, fine art being an industry um, that has has been around for centuries in terms of uh, how, how people uh, purchase art, mostly through auction houses. I'm talking about high-end art, uh, not like you know, street art that you can buy straight from the, from the artist. Um, sure. And so the, the challenge for, for banks and for any financial institution that invested in technology is that when a new one comes in, they need to factor in the cost of uh, basically decommissioning the, the, old, the old technology. They need to write off all the investments they made and they need to account for the migration and re-education uh, and, and reconversion sometimes of data structures into the new world. So it's a huge cost. Sure. Um, so for an industry that still works with you know, pen and paper, fax machines, and people raising their hands when they want to up the, the bid to purchase the painting, it sounded like the perfect environment for a new technology to come in. And given the amount of fraud that exists, so the case for something that could reduce fraud and, and create transparency is something like an obvious solution. Uh, art is traded mostly uh, uh, behind closed doors. Uh, private um, art dealers make huge, huge cuts by um, um, benefiting from, from information they have that others don't. So this information mm. asymmetry uh, gives them an edge. And that's kind of the opposite to the philosophy behind cryptocurrencies where everyone can see every single transaction uh, and uh, all the information is broadcasted to, broadcasted to all the nodes at any time. So I was like, maybe maybe this is the right sort of environment for a new tech to come in. And, and I started learning about fine art, about how auction houses work, why people buy art, why people sell art, why galleries exist, uh, why... We have these uh, people called our dealers, our brokers, uh, and you know, what's the role of private banks in these family offices, you know, uh, wealth management, the huge, huge uh, learning 
exercise, reading every report that I could get my hands on. And I'm talking about hundreds of pages worth mm. of really boring reports, quoting lots of stats <laughs> and, and surveys. Um, and years, uh, your years in the banking industry came in useful for something. Right? <laughs> Taught you how to filter through all those reports. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So and I, everything, uh, everything it comes around eventually. Everything you do, even if it seems pointless, and I, you're gonna find it valuable in future somehow. Yeah. And and I, I and I guess that was the journey. So I realized that the, my Cenas as a concept was a real product that could solve multiple problems in an industry that has issues around pricing. It's very difficult to know how much an asset is worth. When you're purchasing a painting, you don't really know if it's valuable or not, if it's authentic or not. Sure. Uh, the, the full trace of ownership uh, called provenance is, is very hard to determine, uh, and so on and so forth. So um, I started polishing, tweaking, and refining the idea. Uh, eventually, that led into a product. We evolved the technology that we had built for the uh, cryptocurrency exchange to make it into uh, an asset back token exchange, uh, specializing in artworks. And initially, um, but and I could be easily extended into other collectibles, classic cars, and so on, which is something that we may do in a few years if you are successful with that. Um, mm. And so now, long story short, we raised some money. We did a token sale two years ago. We built the product. We launched, and so now we are looking at ways to to scale up. So, what are the you know you mentioned that in sort of the the classic banking scenario, there's a lot of these intermediaries that lead to waste and sort of uh, price bloat to the end customer. What is what is sort of the analog in the art world? Like, what are the actual sort of black holes that money just kind of slips into in the traditional auction house sort of setup? Right. So, I mean, in, in the case of the, the auction houses and <clears throat> there's, um, there's a lot of inefficiencies in, in the way uh, the information is processed. The, uh, they, the auction houses are, uh, if you compare the fees they charge with um, any other industry that gives you the chance to invest in an asset, is, is like 10 to 15 times higher. So you know, if you if you purchase a, you know, a relatively inexpensive painting, say $150,000, um, you need to pay 25% commission on top of that just to purchase it. So you're already, if you think of an investor and not as a collector who's passionate, um, you're already down 25% on your investment from the, just from executing the transaction. Mm. So to, to break even, the, the, you need to be able to sell the painting for at least 25% more. And if you want to make money, you probably need to wait quite a few years for that piece of art to appreciate. Um, so you know, the, the, if you invest in real estate, that fee is around 2%. Right? So the, the first immediate uh, thinking, if you're thinking linearly, is, wow, this is a ripoff. You know, these auction houses are milking everyone. And that, that's actually not the case. I mean, the, the, the fees are so expensive because the auction houses are um, abstracting a lot of complexity from you. Um, the, there's no central catalog for or a register for artworks. So they, they take an immense risk every time they bring an artwork into, into auction. Um, they, the amount of research they need to do to validate and, and track the, the full self-ownership chain is, is really tedious. It's almost like detective work. Um, and there's so many things that could go wrong and the, the, the processing is entirely manual and it's repeated every single time. So if you bring a, a painting to Sotheby's, you sell it, someone will purchase it and then maybe 10 years down the line they want to sell it at Christie's, Christie's will have to do exactly the same work uh, that mm. Sotheby's did 10 years ago plus the new 10 years. Um, so it, it, I know you could immediately see how this has been deprived from the information technology revolution. Is <laughs> Everything sure. is so manual, right? And if you purchase a, a house in some district I know, in, in, in the US, I know there's a register that will tell you, uh, will show you the blueprints, when, when it was built, who built it, who owned it, uh, every single tenant. And I, the amount of risk you're taking is very low. 
don't know, sure. it's, uh, it's almost limited to the current state of the property. So you just do a good inspection and uh, with the surveyor and then and then you know what you're buying. Uh, with art, it's the opposite. So so that inefficiency goes into fees and and I guess we all we all suffer the the cost of that. Why do you why do you think uh, I mean because if something is like I mean you know it's transactional but mundane as like real estate is has been modernized now for quite some time and you know there's multiple websites that have this information public and you can you know it's fairly easy for anybody on the street to look up any house and kind of see this historical record and stuff like that. You know, some of these industries that are like less sexy have already had this technology for decades now. Why, what do you think is particular about the art industry that has been resistant to this sort of disruption? Well, I, I think um, I'm almost, almost certain is the fact that um, art, art is mostly mobile. You can, you can physically, uh, transport it to a new location and you can keep it yourself in, in, in your own storage, um, which with a house is, is impossible for obvious reasons. So if you wanted to invest in, in something that's valuable and say, keep it safe from the public size, keep it safe from you know, the, potentially the taxman and, and even from, from thieves, or, or you just don't want the world to know how wealthy you are. Sure. Uh, then I guess you would invest. You would be investing into gold, into art, into you know, expensive watches, into things that you can keep away and safe and store, and and the quality of of that wouldn't degrade uh, over time. Right. So so that's almost the opposite to investing in property, where whereas you know everyone would know what you own. I mean, maybe not everyone, but eventually people who do research, they could find out because there's a central register for, for ownership of real estate almost in every country. Um, whereas without the recent, and what's a disadvantage for, for most of us, I guess it's an advantage for, for the very few who, who like to collect and like to uh, keep part of their wealth uh, to sort of, to, to pass it into the next generations, um, keep it into something that's portable, storable, and I guess I know uh, very easy to distribute uh, at, when when the time comes. Gotcha. And and so, are you finding that um, for the particular customers that Mycenas is trying to serve? Which, and I'm curious to kind of hear a little bit more about. Um, about sort of their nuances, what what their particulars are about your customers that that they find Mycenas to be particularly valuable. Um, but specifically, is that their number one problem? That just the straight up price point. Um, so, I mean, so, so let me let's let's talk a bit about our uh, audience, like who who would should sure. become a customer Mycenas. So the I know. Art, why would anyone invest in art, right? I mean, uh, so if you ask that question 100 years ago, you, you would get a completely different answer than, than, <laughs> than today, even 50 years ago. And I, I guess it comes down to, uh, I don't know, breaking when, when fiat currency, when currency became fiat currency, like, you know, not backed by anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, you know, it's almost 50 years ago that that happened. And I think almost uh, most of the world still are not aware of it. Um, Obviously, the ones that are drawn into cryptocurrencies, they fully know that uh, US dollars are not bought by any tangible asset that you can go take your dollar into any shop and, and redeem it for something else. Um, so I think this, this, as more people become educated on this fact, uh, and they, they, they go through this, this shock moment of like, y- 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 you must be kidding. Like, this cannot be true. Is this just <laughs> as good as toilet paper? Um, they, they look into, okay, but what was, what's really valuable then? Like, what, what, what sort of, uh, things should I, uh, use for saving? Um, that would not be exposed to, you know, whatever, uh, a, a, whatever governments, um, would decide to do and, and devalue and print more and you know, essentially I'll be funding all of the government's operations <clears throat> through these um, so-called hidden tax, 
right? Because you know, every time new money is printed, uh, my uh, what I have in my pocket is worth less. Right. Um, and and that's, that tends to be physical assets. So the answer to that tends to be physical assets that are not uh, possible to duplicate. And, right. and they are unique and scarce, and therefore they have intrinsic value. Um, and then when you look at that space uh, from an investment perspective, uh, it's incredibly fragmented. Uh, there's absolutely no standard. Uh, if you want to invest, and uh, if you today, right now after this podcast, you go like, shit, like Marcelo is right. I, I should take my $10,000 and invest in some tangibles. Uh, good luck. And uh, it's very, very, very hard to to make any sensible investment decisions um, because you have to become an expert about watches, about wine, about classic cars. And guess what? With ten thousand dollars, I don't think you'd be able to purchase anything of value. Right. Um, so, so tokenization um, provides an opportunity to take uh, an asset that's of value and and create fractions of and a few dollars in value each and make it almost free to transact and to trade and to, to keep track of your holdings. Mm. So if the entire physical asset um, space was tokenized, then, then, then the answer to my previous statements would be, yeah, you can just go on into such and such website, uh, transfer your 10 grand, and you can build your portfolio of like, uh, 20, 25 different you know, physical assets, and you will be uh, you know, happy knowing that at least part of your savings are, are safe. No one can, could devalue them, right? So, so the to answer your question about about you know, what's valuable for our customers, um, we we mostly target uh, young people who, are, and they're not so young, but they are very tech savvy and they like to be in control of the financial future. Those who don't necessarily trust their pensions that they should get in about I don't know, 30, 40 years if governments <laughs> stick to their promises, if I know, capital markets don't melt down, and if equities are not ridiculously overvalued, as economists say. And I know, you want to start caring about your financial future and you want to be in control. And you, 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 you're done purchasing Bitcoin and, and Ether and cryptocurrencies and you, you think you have enough of your uh, uh, money invested into that and you want to invest in other things. So what other things are there? Well, I know we bring in one of the many that you could you could buy and that's, that's fine art. Um, so we're not after initially, at least not after the traditional investors who have been purchasing art for, for decades because we are not really helping them. They already are uh, very much experts and they know how to spot very good uh, deals. They, they can find valuable uh, artworks and, and bargain them down to a very good low price. Um, and they know uh, exactly who would buy them off them uh, so they can flip the investment. So you know, they, they are the ones who are making money today in this space. So we're not really helping them. I don't think we are making their life worse, at least not initially, but you know, we're not really affecting the, their operations. Sure. But for the rest the rest of us, and we have a strong focus on, on people who uh, are drawn to cryptocurrencies, um, they, they hmm. have, uh, they may not be, I mean, not all of them became crypto whales and they are you know, millionaires or billionaires, but you know, right. I think all of us have some money. If we have some job, uh, that allows us to have uh, a small disposable income every month, and uh, and we see that our account, bank account balance, and you know, maybe growing slightly every month, and, and then we wonder, you know, what should I do with this money? Should I invest in 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 some company stocks? Should I start reading Bloomberg every morning to know you know which uh, direction the markets are going to go? Uh, what should I do? Right, and and you know, if, if the thought of becoming uh, the owner of something physical that is worth millions and is, is highly likely to maintain and or maybe even increase its value over time, it's appealing to you, uh, then then you will be interested in in what my sinners are doing because we that's exactly what, what, what we're doing. We're bringing uh, a Picasso worth $20 million that none of us could, could I know, even dream of uh, hmm. owning. Um, and, and now we, we have the possibility to invest in that 
uh, in a way that's you know, transparent, easy, and it has all the features of uh, cryptocurrencies that we loved. And you, know, you can store it in your own wallet. So you, know, you can show it to your friends. You can track it on chain. You can go into an exchange and trade it. You, you're fully free to do with your investments as you, as you please. So I, I think one of the difficult things for people to get their head around with this notion of of investing in hard actual physical products with these tokens is the fact that like you know at the end of the day this this physical object has to actually exist somewhere in the world right so how do you own a piece you know a theoretical piece of something that um that physically exists in the world but you may never touch so who is actually responsible for this sort of care and well-being of the artifact itself yeah, I mean that, that's that's the uh, the first question that everyone uh, asks themselves, although they should ask themselves is, you know, uh, you, people go like, imagine Bitcoin but for art, right? And 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 that's not a very good um, analogy. <laughs> Bitcoin is entirely digital, right? right. Uh, and uh, there's there's no place where someone keeps the physical Bitcoin bars, you know, that right. are, are backing the digital Bitcoin. Bitcoin is 100% digital, um, but but you know if you're tokenizing uh, physical uh, objects, then the token is just a representation, um, and the token is as good as the legal frame, framework that connects the token to the physical. Right. So you know if I just you know uh, take a selfie uh, uh, of me with my new painting and then go and issue. Uh, a bunch of tokens and tell people that those those tokens are linked to the painting. Uh, that's as good as my word. Right? It has no no legal backing, and the token you know, is 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 actually worthless, right? So so the most of the work actually that uh, uh, we we we've, we've been doing um, in the past few years and more intensely uh, since launching uh, last year has actually not. On been on the technology, it's been on the on the legal structure. So we've been hmm. um, looking at how initially our first take was okay. Um, this this problem of linking a certificate to a physical asset has been solved. So someone has solved it before because a lot of people invest in things and they don't need blockchain to to invest in things. And so there has to be a way to to connecting a certificate to to a physical asset. Well, all we need to do is just make that certificate uh, be based on 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 a blockchain system, and that's what sure. we did with the with the first tokenization. When we tokenized the Andy Warhol painting um, last year, we we took exactly that approach, and it was it was very good because it allowed allowed us to to launch and to tokenize the first work and to auction it. And and we could test the the entire end to end process uh, from I know. Uh, the moment we identify the piece of work to the moment where the owner got the money, the investors got the tokens, and the transaction was settled on on the blockchain. Um, but we actually were not very happy with with, with the, res- the results because we realized that we were uh, just applying a, a bit of a blockchain coating on top of a, a, a legacy structure. Um, so mm. so the experience for the end user was yes I have my my tokens that are linked to this uh, work of painting but uh, behind the scenes this was this traditional uh, plumbing which is very inefficient very expensive it involves lawyers notaries uh, registrars and I know you don't want to know about it it's, right, it's horrible right. um, so we went like okay the experience is great uh, the concept of tokenization definitely works it's appealing to at least early adopters and over time we can grow um, that audience into you know, a larger amount of people but we need to fix this way of uh, connecting the token to the physical because it just doesn't doesn't scale mm. um, so we've been looking at uh, what innovative new way of um, protecting uh, legally protecting ownership around an asset we could use. Um, we we didn't want Mycenaeus to turn into a, a wearer of all hats 
I seen you know, my students being the one purchasing the painting, validating that it's authentic, uh, paying for insurance, paying for storage, liaising with the uh, appraisal people to do checks every quarter. Like, you know, the, it eventually we become a monster. Um, and <laughs> right. we're trying to, we're trying to be lean. We're trying to be a, a, a small company. That's one thing that's focused on technology and that fixes the, the was, was broken, not re, not redoing absolutely everything. There's companies right. that already have figured out how to store art. There's companies that specialize in insurance and, and doing valuation of artworks. Why, why do we think we can be better than them? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's the wrong thinking. Sure. Uh, so, so, so we we start looking at uh, how we could do as little as possible uh, to achieve the best experience, and we realized that we had to focus uh, only on tech, right? So, and, uh, so by providing the tech and figuring out how we could glue all the other uh, parties together. Uh, without having to become experts at what each party does, say you know storage uh, or insurance or, or appraisal, then then we could we could uh, hope to scale, right? So in the case of um, say today with the token that people some people own linked to the Warhol, um, the painting is physically in Switzerland in a storage facility that's uh, purpose built for to store uh, fine art. So it has the right sort of humidity and, and amount of light conditions and is is uh, very safe. So not everyone can walk in. There's no um, mobile phones don't work inside. There's no Wi-Fi inside. Uh, so it's like, you know, I don't want to use the word military grade, but you know, it's somewhere near there, <laughs> like it's quite safe. And, right, right. and there's, a legal, there's a legal structure. There's a, there's a legal entity that exists that is the owner of this piece of art. And this legal entity recognizes the token holders uh, as owners, fr- fractional owners of the hmm. of the uh, vehicle, and the vehicle has a painting inside. So, indirectly, as a proxy, you you own the painting. And what's the nature between that of the relationship between that legal entity and Mycenas? Uh, so we have uh, sort of like a seat uh, at the board of the entity uh, that we use for governance so we can we can monitor what happens and we 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 can veto some actions so for instance you know, if someone wants to move the painting to a, a new facility we we can we can block that if we don't think it's it's appropriate okay and who else so who else is kind of responsible for that governance if you're one of those seats who else is in those seats the yeah so whoever is a significantly large token holder would would okay. have veto rights. So right now, um, it's the only uh, significant token holder is the original owner of the painting because we we tokenized and sold um, about one third mm. of the painting. So all of the uh, investors they they are minority investors in the in the enterprise. So this is like. From the seller's perspective, as like from a certain perspective, a way to de-risk their own large investment in this huge art piece. That's right. Yes, it's a first step. It's not the final solution. The final solution would be to tokenize and sell 100%. Uh, but right, as a first right. uh, exercise, let's call it experiment, uh, we felt this was the right approach. So we allowed them to sell and the, the risk one-third. Uh, investors had the chance to play with with investing in art in a completely new way and understanding mm. the process. And we 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 still have sort of um, like a switch that we can we can we can use to to prevent the seller from say abusing the power in absence of a, a better expression. So we we're there just to make sure that everyone wins. Um, and sure. that's not, that's not, that's not the, the, our ideal role, because what happens if my Sinos ceases to operate in the future, then, then who's going to take that responsibility? Sure. Right. So we were sort of leaving, leaving the investors at the expense of the goodwill of the, um, um, hardware owners. Right. So, so we, we, we abandoned that structure in that we're not going to continue using it in future. Uh, and we, we've been working on a new structure that's, um, quite similar to the way stable coins work today. So you have a trust that is, uh, managed by an independent third party. That's the trustee. Um, 
and the trustee has to by law follow exactly what the trust uh, allows them to do and, and mandates them to do. And and the trust is um, even stronger as a as a reinfencing uh, framework to protect the the asset from any claims. Mm. Um, and and the 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 trust is uh, you could you could say tokenized in a way. It issues tokens. Um, and whoever owns the tokens is a, is a beneficiary of the trust. So in the case of a stable coin, such as, I don't know, Gemini dollar or I don't know, USDC, uh, the trust simply holds a US dollars. Uh, so you could, you could go and take your tokens and, and uh, submit them to the trustee and the trustee would, um, uh, instruct a payment in US dollars to your account equivalent to the amount of tokens that you, uh, submitted um, we, with a piece of art that's not possible to do because you can't sort of ask for one percent of a painting to be delivered to your home <laughs> uh, so so there's this difference of rules and and um, and conditions around the life cycle of the investment but yeah. the protection the level of protection that you get is the same the flexibility around um, uh, ownership of the tokens and and, and and transfer of the tokens and, and the transparency that you see is equivalent and and the the structure does not depend on my as existing we actually don't have a say on what happens there we define all the rules up front, uh, and we also define um, approval percentages for each type of action that needs to be taken, and and the approval uh, uh, is in the hands of token holders. So for this new structure to to effectively work, we need to ensure that its ownership is decentralized or distributed enough, so that no single, at least initially, no single investor has too much control. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is an interesting sort of nuance of investing in a physical artifact versus versus something like Bitcoin, where, you know, like with a cryptocurrency, you're basically bidding against market forces, right? Like that's 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 the point of an exchange is that um, basically the value of that currency goes up and down based on people's trust on a moment to moment moment basis of that cryptocurrency. But like you said, you can't exactly check out for one one hundredth of a paint. You can't like shave off a layer of the paint and deliver that to someone's house. Yeah. Um, or I guess you could, but probably the other investors would not be so happy. So can you talk a little bit about like what the life cycle of these investments are? Like how do how do people intend to get in and out of these investments? Right. So I mean, if you're talking about the the the, the way art is traded today, the life cycle is really long. So you, mm -hmm. I know if you say if you're wealthy enough, say you have I know uh, two hundred million worth of assets, and and so now it would be, it wouldn't be unreasonable for you to say uh, I want to have five percent of my wealth in in art, and so that then you could go and shop around for maybe two or three paintings that have a combined value of ten million. Um, so you you would go and purchase them maybe. You could go to an auction house, or if you have a very uh, trustworthy uh, art dealer, uh, then you would pay less commission, and and you would you could purchase the the paintings through this person, and then you would have to hold them for a very long time, minimum five years, uh, but typically ten years or more. Um, and then uh, once you feel that your investment is mature enough then you have to be very uh, careful with how you go to market this. You can't just openly say to everyone, hey, my, you know, the, the, the basket that I purchased 10 years ago is on sale. Uh, because that would bring, immediately bring the perceived value of the painting down. Um, that's just the way you know, the art world works. Um, it's all about perception. And because this is so illiquid, when you when you come to a market with a painting, especially if it's high end painting, there's very few uh, potential buyers. Very few. Uh, some some people collect highly specialized uh, type of artworks. Maybe three, four artists, uh, a range of ten ten years uh, mm. period that they painted. And so so depending on what you have, you may be looking at the population of maybe. 
a few hundred people globally. Right. Right. Um, so you need to be very careful because you know, if you piss them off or you create the wrong impression, then then suddenly you're painting maybe worth you know ten millions less, right? Not right. not not a good uh, thought to have. Um, so so that's one thing that we're trying to change when you investing in a, in the same painting, but through a tokenized vehicle, you actually don't need to please and and make this uh, hundred people globally happy because now your audience is almost everyone in the world who has access to to an internet connection that has maybe you know a few thousand dollars to invest because mm. you, you just need to sell tokens to someone else you don't need to sell the full painting to someone yeah. else but is so, so it becomes a lot easier in that sense but it, so so i get the the ease of sort of accessing your customers but isn't there a threat that you know the the prices are set based on this idea of illiquidity and scarcity right like the reason that um the the prices are in the tens of millions to begin with is because there's sort of like this uh small sort of uh segment of price setters that you know on one hand obviously that's kind of the paradigm we're trying to break in saying that um the market should be open to more customers, but isn't it be because of them and because of the exclusivity of that group that the prices are so high for the sales that are transacted? Um, that, that's absolutely true today. And even in the most uh, sort of wild successful uh, projections that we may have, uh, mm -hmm. we're not going to change how the market works. You know, we, we may uh, process a percentage of the art transactions and in our um, usual, you know, uh, investor projection and budgeting, we have um, to, uh, that one percent of the arts will be tokenized in, um, by uh, 2025, sure. and and uh, it, that we we if we are successful, we would take 10 percent of that uh, market of tokenization. So you're looking at 10 percent of one percent of the of the art in the world. So even if the entire market of tokenized art is worth 1%, you have the other 99% of the art that's still transacted in the usual way. So gotcha. that art will continue providing prices and will continue operating through independent uh, uh, people who do valuations and, uh, and our auction results with some, uh, some art selling for a lot more than they expected some other art not selling at all, failing to hit the minimum price. Um, and all of those data points would, would um, provide insights for token traders to determine whether there's arbitrage opportunities where maybe the tokens are underpriced or the tokens are overpriced. And and, and you have this sort of uh, constant economic economical analysis between the two worlds. It is... Um, the, mm. the closest sort of analogy that I can think of is public listed companies and private companies. And mm. uh, say, you know, Uber recently IPO'd, right? And there's been lots of chatter around, you know, the the the, the last round, the last private round, mm. being for a high valuation that the company is worth now, and so on and so forth. So, I mean, all, all of that uh, activity between the uh, digital uh, electronic trading world. And the private companies and our illiquid world uh, creates this investment opportunity. So we, 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 I personally envisage a similar dynamic building up. Uh, say when we have I don't know, hundreds of paintings that are tokenized, and and they all would be from artists that are active in the secondary market. You know, Picasso's, Monet's, you know, Basquiat's, and so on. Um, there will be lots of uh, price activity, lots of auctions uh, happening uh, every quarter. And investors can make up their mind. So they they can decide how much token is worth based on all of this information, uh, but they don't need to count on the expectation of the underlying asset being sold because they mm -hmm. can trade it today, they can trade it next week. They don't need uh, for one of these 100 buyers globally to to have the money and the and the appetite to purchase it. They just need to trade it with, with the entire thousands or potentially eventually millions of people who invest in tokenized assets. Hmm. Gotcha. So that's where that's where this liquidity is coming from. Is that once once this 
piece of artwork has been broken up into its individual shares or tokens um the the end consumer then is free to trade that token however they want wherever they want on the open blockchain that's right i mean I, this is i mean nothing new it's not revolutionary you know if, we, sure. if you think about investing in in a company say like apple uh, you can invest in Apple today because Apple has you know, shares that you can purchase. And uh, it, b- before uh, public listings existed, um, to invest in a, in a company, it was a very tedious uh, process. You have to do a lot of due diligence. You have to check the books of the company. Now, all, all companies that are public, they have to publish quarterly reports. The, those reports have been structured in a very specific way. That's a standard across all companies. So as an investor, you can compare very easily the performance of uh, thousands of companies because they all report the expenses, the earnings, and, and so on, exactly in the same way. right? So, so without, it's, it's the same. If, if you standardize uh, the way performance is tracked, if you standardize the way uh, information is, is published, uh, then as an investor, you can, you can have a much easier job at looking at uh, and are comparing apples and are with apples and and deciding whether Picasso is a, is a, is better value than than Warhol for for the next quarter and then rebalance your portfolio maybe sell a few coins of of this but not buy some more coins of of that other thing and 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 I hope to make some money by uh, tapping into. I know an advantage that you have maybe your 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 model your pricing model is is more accurate than than other people maybe I know you you are better at reading patterns in the chart uh, mm. and are trying to draw lines and finding you know uh, buy-in opportunities and so on yeah all the depth chart voodoo that people yeah <laughs> <laughs> all the fun yeah. charts that they draw it's always a good time seeing the mad geniuses with their sketches on the wall of the perfect depth chart or perfect candle chart. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what about, can you tell me about a little bit more about like the seller side? Who's what, what is the DNA of a, a seller or a lister look like? Uh, well, typically um, sellers, they, they, um, they're very conservative. So they were the ones who, uh, the type of, uh, Paintings that we are after uh, are of the highest quality, and they tend to be in the hands of very traditional and, and reputable collectors. So they, yeah. um, th- these people, they uh, they live by their reputation. They they worth what the reputation I- is worth, and and therefore um, they're very careful with who they associate with. Uh, what activities they engage in, and, and so on. Um, so, a, being associated with a starter company, a starter company that's also involved in in cryptocurrencies or, or a blockchain that's also seen as a risky segment, is not necessarily uh, an easy proposition to to sell to them. So, it's it takes a lot of convincing um, and uh, patience. Um, so, so sellers um, are typically collectors that you know either fell out of love with with you know some type of art, or or they mm. they they got bored and they want they they start collecting something different, uh, or maybe maybe they didn't get bored, but you know they they need money because they um, they decide to start collecting uh, you know Africa art or you know uh, Southeast Asian art, and they need cash. Uh, so they go, okay, I'll, I'll have to, you know, uh, I have to let go of some of these really, you know, valuable pieces that, you know, I would hope to keep, but, you know, I can't have every every piece of art in the world. Uh, so they, they will have to sacrifice some paintings to get cash and then so that they continue uh, collecting, right? They continue purchasing mm-hmm. more more items um, <clears throat> so essentially are people who want to sell but they want to sell in a very clean way risk-free uh, nothing obviously dodgy or or, or that could uh, potentially damage the reputation so um, working with us um, it's it's risky in itself because we are a startup company uh, we don't have the track record of processing thousands of transactions we we've done just one um and and so it, it's it's tough work uh so what we're doing is we're trying to focus on on those collectors who are 
uh, either tech savvy uh, or they mm. they're, they are younger and and therefore they uh, you know they understand the the opportunity of working with us the fact that you know by selling uh, the um, painting through us they're not just getting money for 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 the painting they're also getting exposure they they're improving the their reputation because now they're seen as you know, uh, collectors that are um, more innovative, uh, more willing to help a company that's trying to fix problems in the industry they are part of, and so on. So there's there's a lot of value that we see in in what we're doing, and anyone working with us would would benefit from that. But obviously, they're taking the risk of working with an, a relatively unknown company. Uh, the the management is not entirely our people, so you know they're, they're taking sort of a gamble by working mm. with people who who may not understand the art market and may not want to respect some of the sort of values or codes. I mean, it's not our case, but I know it's understandable and reasonable for for anyone to think to think that. Uh, so so it's it's a slow, but you know we're seeing we're seeing um, a lot of interest. I know we have actually um, right now more works waiting to be sold and than, than investors willing to purchase uh, the works um, hmm. uh, the, the reason for that is I think the I know the value proposition for sellers is quite straightforward it's, it's a more efficient way of selling uh, the art uh, but because we're not able to publicize what we have in stock um, because uh, I know why I mentioned earlier the moment you you tell the world this is on sale, the price drops. Right. Then investors go. I, I love the idea of my sinus. I love uh, the 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 thought of being the owner or part owner of uh, a bunch of masterpieces. But I need to know what I will be purchasing. Tell me more. Show me a picture. Uh, who's who's the artist? And we, we we can't tell them any of those details. So it's it's tough convincing the the other side to to commit so it's a it takes a bit of bootstrapping so we need to sort of bring everything together at the same time and that's one of the the challenges that we are we are dealing with now yeah so so as you look in your crystal ball what is you know the 2018 was a wild year for the crypto world anybody that's paying attention saw that whole thing happen um, and I assume that for you guys, you've ridden sort of the the same wave, but we're now in what people are calling kind of the crypto winter. What's your, uh, you know, how are you feeling about um, sort of the crypto environment and your place in it? But so, I mean, uh, even though we we shouldn't be affected directly by the price of cryptocurrency, because what we're doing is is just supplying technology to to the art market. The 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 fact of the matter is that we are affected because it is still in everyone's perceptions, um, in everyone's minds. Bitcoin dominates yeah. everything, and yeah. so now yeah. if Bitcoin goes down, uh, people assume that your company is also going down somehow for some reason. I, I, I it's not rational, <laughs> but it's, it's sort of rational at the same time uh, because yeah. the for technology for for blockchain technology to to prove itself as viable, I guess. Its prime use case, which is Bitcoin, needs to needs to succeed. Um, so I, I guess that's sort of the way some people feel. Um, so we, I know, we we try to navigate the the this, the storm. I, I know the best way we could. Um, we made some decisions when we raised funds in cryptocurrencies uh, to I know, sell sell a portion of that to cover expenses. Um, that that turned out to be a good decision. Obviously. I know you go like, oh, I, I wish I could have sold uh, later or earlier or more or less, but then I, uh, we don't have the crystal ball. Uh, but then I, we did what we could, and I know we still have uh, uh, a good financial position to to cover expenses. And as, as a young startup company, and our revenue is is little and costs are high, um, so we we are very conscious of that. And I think personally feel. And besides having my own company and being in this industry, I'm also uh, a cryptocurrency enthusiast. And I like to read uh, Reddit and you know, I, I take part in some forums and Telegram, talk to people and mm. so on. And I go to events and I feel the, the mood is changing. Um, I think um, a lot of uh, greed fueled 
the last bullish cycle and uh, hmm. a lot of the wrong kind of people got into the space. Uh, people who, I mean, it, the, the, it's not wrong to be ambitious. It's not wrong to want to make money. I think it's actually a good trait to because you know, ambition drives efficiency and, and creativity and you, need, you really need to be better than others to to succeed. Uh, so sure. I see absolutely nothing wrong in that. But when you have just greed and you don't care about the fundamentals, uh, then then you have you know, scams, then you have people uh, cheating others, taking advantage of others. And I think um, at some point, maybe at the peak or near the peak, uh, that dominated the industry, and it was it was really sad to see the the, the community going in that direction, and a lot of people being you know, having sad stories about losing money on projects that vanished overnight, and so on. So I think the, the crypto winter is a good thing uh, if it's just to weed out some of the say bad people, uh, the people that are not positive to the industry. And I'll say, take someone like you. You know, you're you're a net contributor to the industry. You're creating content. You're curating uh, uh, startups and ideas, and you are educating uh, uh, your audience on on things that otherwise they couldn't find or they couldn't find so easily, right? So we need more people like you. We need more people who are starting companies, people who are trying to genuinely apply the technology to solve problems. No, no, some may fail, some may succeed. That's that's really uh, not not very important uh, and, and at the high scale. But what's important is that the the participants that are driving the the whole community and, and industry forward, they have good intentions. They 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 are contributing to to its growth. And the the speculators who got at the peak or near the peak, or they were trying to make money by uh, convincing people into purchasing. The wrong things. I think they don't have a market anymore. Is the, that market has shrunk significantly, and I'm personally quite happy about that. Uh, even if my personal uh, small crypto holdings uh, went down in price, uh, I'm okay with that. I'm a hodler, <laughs> uh, so I, <laughs> I hold long term. Uh, have my salary, and that's what I used to to cover my my personal expenses. So anything that I have in crypto is, is there. That's a very long-term bet. So, I think the yeah. the, the sentiment is turning. It's uh, people feel more optimistic, and even if if the crypto winter has to last for a bit longer, I, I think eventually it will turn, and it will be net positive for for everyone. Well, thanks for the for the brain dump, Marcelo. I know uh, it's it's the morning for you, so I'm sure you have a very busy Wednesday over there. Um, but thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today. Um, this has definitely been, I learned a lot in this conversation and I think, you know, I mean, th this is, um, this area that you're playing in is, is already kind of a hot topic in the art community about what the best way to be investing in art is and, you know, how much of the, the fine art world is, uh, helping artists and all that fun stuff. But for, for my brain, you know, any, anywhere there's room for innovation, it's going to be a good thing. And I think, um, you know, what you're doing is trying to solve some very old, very difficult problems that have been in this, the, the sort of established art world for a really, really long time. So I admire everything that, that you're doing and what you're trying to get done. And we wish you the best of luck, man. Thank, thanks so much, Andrew, for the kind words and for the uh, op optimism. Um, I very much look forward to hearing the the final product of the podcast, and so now I'll I'll be sharing this with my audience. I think you know you're. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview. Uh, I think you know you're producing good content, so I'll be happy to support you. I appreciate that. And before we let you go, how how can our listeners follow along with what my Cenus is doing? Where can they get a hold of you? Uh, so be best way is if they if they have time to to join our Telegram group. It's um, a relatively small but very active community of almost two thousand people. I nice. personally like to reply to uh, to people myself when when there's uh, interesting questions or even when there's uh, complaints. 
uh, I like to you know uh, step forward and 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 uh, address them personally. Uh, so very very much a very good opportunity for people to engage with me directly. Otherwise, uh, for the most sort of passive uh, consumers, we have a blog uh, where we try to post um, updates regularly, and and of course Twitter for for the microblogging. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I wish you a very happy Wednesday. Okay. Likewise. Uh, enjoy your evening. Uh, speak soon. Take care. Cheers. As always, listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of State of the Art. And uh, if you like what we're doing here at State of the Art, or if you like this episode, please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Five-star reviews are always great. That's the most helpful thing you can do to help us, to help us grow, and to find other awesome listeners that like the same things you do. So thank you so much again, and I hope you tune in next week for another episode of State of the Art.